Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You are listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Peter Brockner. He is one of the OGs in the low carbohydrate diet space and also a leading sports physician in Australia. So we discuss on the podcast how a personal sort of health challenge led Peter to investigate low carbohydrate diets to help improve his own health Uh, and this was under the influence of Professor Tim Noakes who at the time was beginning to speak out about low carb diets about the Banting diet and real food revolution. Peter's own success with improving his metabolic markers then got him interested in the wider application of the approach for fat loss, improving blood sugar control, and reversing symptoms of type 2 diabetes. And this led Dr. Bruckner from his very successful sports medicine interest into the space of population health and to educate and inform on the power of low-carbohydrate diets for chronic disease. And we talk a lot about this in today's podcast. This has led Peter to write a book, Fat Lot of Good, set up a not-for-profit organisation, Sugar by Half, and a new diabetes reversal program, Defeat Diabetes. And this is an online program to help scale his reach in order to help people reverse their type 2 diabetes risk. Those of you unfamiliar with Dr. Bruckner, he's a specialist sports and exercise physician whose most recent position has been Australian cricket team doctor for the past five years. Peter is the founding partner of Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre in Melbourne and professor of sports medicine at La Trobe University. A founding executive member of Australasian College of Sports Physicians, he served two terms as president and played a key role in establishing sports medicine as a medical specialty in Australia. Peter is the co-author of the widely used textbook Clinical Sports Medicine. That is actually the first time I saw Dr. Peter Bruckner's work was in fact that sports book and has been team physician for professional football clubs as well as national athletics, swimming, soccer and men's hockey teams, including Olympic and Commonwealth Games. Peter was a Socceroos team doctor at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, more recently head of sports medicine and sports science at Liverpool Football Club. Peter is also, as I mentioned, the co-founder of the public health campaign Sugar by Half and is committed to the challenge of improving the nation's health with improved diet and increased physical activity and I have included links to the Defeat Diabetes website and the book A Fat Lot of Good in the show notes. Before we crack on into this interview which I know you will love just a reminder that the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. This increases the visibility of the podcast out there and amongst the literally thousands of other podcasts so more people get the opportunity to learn from guests like Dr. Bruckner that I have on the show. All right team, enjoy this conversation with Dr. Peter Bruckner. Peter Bruckner, Dr. Bruckner, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me this afternoon. You would be one of the first people that I was aware of when I sort of entered the, entered if you like, the low carb sort of space after my sort of nutrition training and the usual sort of traditional route. Um, Yours was certainly one of the first names that I became aware of in a particular sort of Australia and New Zealand. Um, So I sort of uh, look at you as a bit of an OG in the low carb space, right? Well, but of course, th- I think that that's how you do it, though, because I think you're also you are like the OG in sports medicine. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, I, certainly my my career has sort of transitioned a little bit, really, in the last sort of ten years. I suppose I was very much focused on sports medicine for all of my. Uh, my career um, worked in sports medicine for over uh, many years. Had a clinic here in uh, in Melbourne, Australia, and then uh, 
worked with a whole bunch of sporting teams, uh, sort of very involved in establishing sports medicine as a special medical specialty in Australia and New Zealand, and um, and sort of uh, co-author of, of sort of the, the sports medicine bible, which is clinical sports medicine. So, so that was my sort of sports medicine career, and then then sort of the last ten years, I guess I've become. Uh, uh, interested, that's to put it mildly, um, in uh, in the world of, of nutrition, and uh, not so much sports nutrition, really, more more just sort of life nutrition, you know, health nutrition for for general health uh, as much as anything, and uh, and that all arose from my own personal experience, as so often uh, these things do, and uh, I had a sort of a you know <clears throat> life changing experience, and and from then on, I've I've been sort of a passionate about uh, about the importance of nutrition, which I probably didn't appreciate until uh, until I had my own experience. Yeah, and you know, as I understand it, you've 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 been involved at like the absolute upper echelon of sport for many many years, and the you've had almost not an integration, even though you don't focus on sports nutrition now because you're much more so in that sort of um, health space. I understand that you've got experience helping some of the athletes that you worked with um, sort of utilize your sort of more low-carb approach with their own health, which then, of course, uh, backs on to their performance as well. Can you, Peter, just sort of describe, well, maybe first describe how you even got interested in, in the low-carb. I mean, I know from a personal perspective, um, I've heard you talk before about sure. having a bit of, you know, that middle-aged spread, but what got you, what sort of engineered <laughs> your, your uh, thinking in this space? Right. Well, it all sort of started uh, 10 years ago now. Um, and I was uh, living and working in Liverpool, England. I was uh, head of sports medicine at the football club there. And um, I uh, I just turned 60. And uh, if people had asked me then, you know, if you'd sort of bumped into me and said, how was it? I'd have said, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm good good health. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't on any sort of medication. I didn't have any sort of particular health uh, health issues. Um, and, um, you know, I had what I thought was a good diet. I exercised regularly. You know, my blood sugars were fine. My cholesterol was fine. Um, but the reality was I probably wasn't quite as healthy as I thought I was. Well, I certainly wasn't as healthy as I thought I was. For a start, I had a family history of type 2 diabetes. So my father had developed type 2 diabetes at exactly that age, and I was pretty keen to uh, avoid that fate because I saw what happened to him and, uh, and I didn't want to go down that uh, that track. Uh, I was uh, borderline obese. I was certainly overweight, probably on the borderline of obese. And like many middle-aged men, and, and I considered 60 uh, middle-aged, I used to think it was old, but now I think it's middle-aged. Totally. Um, I mean, like many 60-year-old men, I, I'd probably put on half a kilogram a year for 30 years, you know, to the point where I was 15 kilograms overweight. Um, and um, as well, I had some uh, some metabolic issues. I had uh, <clears throat> high, uh, high triglycerides, had a high insulin level. I'd had a fatty liver uh, for about 10 years that I was aware of. Uh, in a regular blood test showed fatty liver and like a typical doctor, I totally ignored it and I sort of figured I was on a low-fat diet and, you know, I didn't really understand what a fatty liver was, to be honest, um, and uh, I ignored it. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I clearly wasn't uh, – and in retrospect, you know, I, I was clearly pre-diabetic. I mean, uh, and I have no doubt that had I continued on the way I was going um, – I'd have uh, I'd have been you know fully fledged type two diabetic uh, you know within uh, probably a couple of years. But what happened was I um, I'm quite good friends with uh, with Tim Noakes, uh, the the South African um, uh, sports scientist, uh, doctor, and uh, now sort of a banting uh, guru. Um, and uh, Tim and I go back a long way. We 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 we've been friends for years. And uh, around that time, he came out and uh, stated that he thought we had nutrition all wrong, and that it was actually uh, sugar and processed carbohydrates that were the problem, and not fats. And uh, I thought, oh come on, Tim, you know you've really uh, gone a bit too far this time. You know, you can't tell me that we've all been on the wrong diet for the last forty years. But but Tim Tim had actually challenged a couple of previous. Uh, uh, sort of uh, gospel truths in, uh, in in sports science, and had eventually been proven right on, on both uh, both occasions. So I thought, no, no, look, you know, I can't just ignore this. I need to look into it. So, uh, so I bought a book. I bought Gary Taub's book, uh, "Good Calories, Bad Calories," and um, 
I guess that was sort of the book that changed my life, really. Um, I wouldn't tell Gary that. You know, he's pretty arrogant as it is. But uh, <laughs> he, um, no, the, the book, I mean, I, I remember the uh, you know, reading this book and um, not only did it talk about the sort of, you know, the relative merits of, of carbs and, and, and fats, which was interesting in itself, but more interestingly, it talked about the politics and the history of how the low carb, the low fat movement yeah. has sort of won out over the low carb movement or the low sugar movement back in the sort of, you know, the 60s and so on, and which I'd always assume was due to sort of, you know, science and evidence and, and, and all that sort of stuff, but in fact turned out to be due to, uh, you know, money and ego and power and and, and uh, the influence of the US agriculture system. So, um so this book really blew me away. I remember, you know, sitting down on the edge of my bed at night, you know, having just been reading for a while and thinking, no, nah, this couldn't be right. Like, this could not be right. We could not have all been on the wrong diet for, for 40 years. And yet, you know, I, I then dived into every book and journal article and paper and, and everything I could get my hands on for the next uh, couple of months. And the more I read, the more I became convinced that there was something in this. So... Uh, it was quite disturbing. So I thought, now, I need to look into this myself. So now I'm a scientist, so I needed to do a, a scientific, uh, some scientific research. But as a scientist, I also know that scientific research with, a, with an N equals one uh, is a waste of time, except, of course, when the one is you. So I decided it was time for me to do a, an N equals one experiment on myself. Um, so I decided I would do three months uh, of this sort of low-carb, healthy-fat diet that, that Noakes and others were, were advocating, and I would see what happened. And I was pretty sceptical. I thought, oh, look, you know, it's not going to make it. You know, maybe it'll be it'll make a little bit of difference. So uh, on day one, I got all my bloods taken and uh, jumped on the scales, and uh, I uh, stopped eating uh, basically all carbs. So I stopped eating anything with sugar, uh, all the starchy foods, so rice, pasta, potato, uh, cereals, etc. stopped all that. Um, stopped uh, all fruit juices uh, and most fruit. Just only the only fruit I had was was berries um, and uh, basically all processed food. So I, I really went back to eating probably the way that my you know grandparents had eaten, just real food. You know, so meat, fish, eggs. You know, all that all that cholesterol we've been told for years. You know, butter and cream and so on. All all, all that fat. You know, I can't have that. You know, so uh, I went back to eating that that way really. Um, Lots of, uh, of green veg and, and um, uh, as I said, fruit, berries for fruit, some nuts. Uh, I mainly drank water. I didn't drink uh, fruit juice or anything like that, coffee and tea, and I had the old glass of red wine. That was about it. And, and the little indulgence was a little square of dark chocolate every night. Uh, so but um, so I started that, uh, that diet, and um, uh, the first thing that happened was that I stopped being hungry. So, um, you know, instead of sort of having breakfast, my cereal for breakfast at 8 o'clock and getting to 10.30 and thinking, God, you know, is it lunchtime yet? Um, I would have, uh, you know, bacon and eggs and avocado or something for, for breakfast and, and I wouldn't feel hungry all day. So I went from eating, you know, three meals and three snacks a day to eating two meals a day and, and I eat one to two meals a day now. Uh, it hasn't changed. So so that was a big difference. You know, I stopped that constant hunger. Um and then I started to lose weight. Every week I'd jump on the scales and I'd, I thought at first, oh, you know, just fluid and just, you know, a bit of, but kept on losing weight. And then a whole lot of different sort of things I started to feel better, more energetic. I concentrated better. I slept better. You know, I wasn't as drowsy during the day. My exercise capacity increased. And it, like, it sort of blew me away, all the sort of the changes in my, uh, in my you know, body and, and health. And uh, so at the end of the 13 weeks, the end of the three months, um, I'd, uh, I'd lost 13 kilograms in weight uh, and I'd never been hungry. I'd eaten lovely food. I'd eaten as much as I wanted to eat of this food and yet I kept uh, – the more fat I ate, the more fat I kept losing. I mean, it was bizarre. And um, and as well, you know, I had, had hungry and then I did, uh, did my bloods and all of my metabolic abnormalities had resolved. So my triglycerides went back to normal, my insulin went back to normal, and my fatty liver, which I you know, by then realized was a pre-diabetic condition, completely reverted to normal. Um, the blood tests were absolutely normal and have remained normal ever since. So, uh, so you know, I thought that's a pretty good three months' work. Um, and um, I guess, you know, w when that happens, uh, you, you can, you know, you've got one or two choices. You can either say, well, okay, I'm all right, mate, and bury your head in the, in the sand and then keep going and, and, and feel pretty good. 
or you sort of say, well, I, I think I really need to tell people about this. You know, I mean, I've had this experience. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't pretending I was the first by any means, but, uh, you know, I, I had a little bit of influence through my, you know, sort of profile. And I thought, well, it's an opportunity to uh, to try and uh, to teach people this. And, and so I started talking about it and writing about it and uh, got involved with the low-carb group uh, in Australia, low-carb down under, and started speaking at their conferences and, uh, and things. And, um, yeah, one thing led to another. Um, I started a, a not-for-profit called Sugar by Half um, with the aim of reducing the amount of added sugar by, by a half uh, in, in Australia, and uh, and that's been uh, going along well. We've, we've you know, got a schools program and we've got uh, some promotional stuff. And uh, and then I got asked to uh, to write a book um, a couple of years ago, and, and to be honest, my initial response was, well, the last thing the world really needs is another diet book. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> the publishers convinced me that, uh, you know, there weren't many by doctors and none by Australian doctors. So um, so they uh, they convinced me to write that book, and I actually wrote it in, in three weeks. I, I clearly, you know, had, must have had in the back of my mind exactly what I wanted to write. So I just... Uh, just uh, locked myself away for three weeks and uh, and finished and did this book and uh, it's been a you know, it was on the bestseller list for a number of weeks and uh, it continues to sell uh, to sell well so um, and then uh, and then most recently uh, you know I've been continuing to you know, give lots of talks and things like that but we um, the elephant in the room has always been uh, you know type two diabetes and, and and you know it seems to be just getting more and more uh, of a problem every year and then in our different separate countries. And um, and nobody seemed to be doing anything about it. And um, yeah, I kept waiting, and nothing happened. So I thought, well, it's time to do so. There's a very uh, successful program in the UK uh, run by Diabetes.co.uk, and and uh, we initially tried to sort of uh, license their program, but that got a bit too hard. So we decided, well, we'll have a crack ourselves. So uh, I got together with Paul Mason, one of my uh, fellow sports physicians, actually, and and. Uh, and low carber and uh, and Nicole Moore, a dietitian, and uh, we put together this program called Defeat Diabetes, which uh, started off as an app-based program, is now both an app and a web-based program, and uh, and that basically just has a whole bunch of uh, videos and articles and uh, and recipes and meal plans and cooking demos and uh, and so on, everything you need really to uh, to understand. Um, uh, undertaking a low carb lifestyle, uh, if you've got uh, type two diabetes or pre diabetes, or even if you just want to you know, avoid getting type two diabetes, and that's uh, that's been going well. We've uh, we've had about eight thousand uh, people do our do our program. Um, oh, amazing! Uh, we'd like to have a lot more, but uh, you know we're uh, we're slowly battling away, and um, you know it's it's a it's a difficult. Uh, sell you know i mean uh, you know we've as you know we've, we've got lots of uh, lots of people who don't want things to change um and um and they you know they've got a lot of influence but uh, we've got to keep bashing away and um, hopefully we can we can influence uh, a lot of people peter there is so much that i'd love to pick up on just based on um what you've told <laughs> us about and one of the one of the first things i find really interesting is is that you know prof tim noakes he is like such a guru in so many different areas and i and it's amazing to me the pushback probably well, i don't know why it's amazing the pushback that he had received but you know there are these people who are clearly so intelligent and so smart and they've got nothing to gain from um from sharing their knowledge, yet there are these people, you know, that there is this pushback against anything that sort of doesn't toe the party line, if you like. And, you know, what kind of things do you think it would take for authorities in the field to actually start taking notice? I mean, what what are your thoughts around around uh, those kind of things? Yeah, look, you know, that, that – that is absolutely logical. You know, I mean, uh, you know, clearly what – if you actually listen to what Noakes and, and, and others say, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. So you would think, you know, that uh, – I guess that the, the issue we've all had is that, well, you know, how come if it's obvious to me, why isn't it obvious to everyone else? And uh, um, But you've got to remember that um, there's a few factors. I mean, I, I think one is that uh, – you know, people feel very threatened. Um, you know, if you've been telling someone for twenty or thirty years that uh, you know you've got a that low fat is the way to go, and uh, and you know you have as many carbs as you like, and uh, and you know saturated fats are evil, and cholesterol is evil, and all this sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden you know a bunch of buddy you know wankers come along and and, and say no, no, you're wrong. I mean, most people unfortunately tend to sort of react to that uh, by being you know aggressive, defensive, and uh, protecting their 
their territory. I mean, it takes a lot to admit that uh, that you've been wrong, uh, or that you know that the evidence has changed, and so on. I mean, uh, um, that that's a tough call, and um, obviously, you know, Tim was able to do it, and I was able to do it. But you know, I can understand why. I suppose dietitians, I guess, who've been preaching the same thing and teaching the same thing for so long, are, you know, are reluctant to uh, to admit that uh, that what they've been uh, been saying uh, might not be totally correct. Um, so, and and you know, you, you've also got to remember that that um, doctors, in particular, um, know nothing about nutrition. Uh, we get zero teaching. I, I had zero lectures on nutrition. In fact, I was at a, at a 70th yesterday of, of some of my old medical friends, and we all agreed that we, none of us could remember getting a single lecture on nutrition in our medical course. And I don't think things have improved that much. So doctors tend to sort of stay in their comfort zone. I mean, we all do. We all stay in our comfort zone. And, and, and doctors' comfort zone is, is medications and, uh, and, uh, and surgery. You know, uh, it's not... Uh, nutrition is not exercise, um, so we we tend to sort of just uh, ignore that or, or pass that off to you know to the dietitians or, or someone. So um, so doctors are yeah are very reluctant to sort of get involved and uh, and also don't have time to talk to patients about their diet and, and things like that. So but so uh, you know the, between the dietitians and and the senior medical specialists, you know who are. Uh, uh, you know, pushing back against this, uh, these these ideas. Um, it's very challenging. You know, the interesting thing is that a lot of the young doctors, young GPs, young sports doctors, young dietitians, you know, are embracing this uh, the low carb approach. Um, but many of them, understandably, are, are scared of, uh, of you know sort of speaking out because uh, they've seen what happened to the likes of, of Tim Noakes and, and Gary Fetke and people like that, and um, you know they don't want to be uh, to threaten their career. I guess for people, you know, for old farts like me, you know, I'm at the end of my career, so you know if somebody uh, takes me on, it's not a not a huge problem. But um, uh, you know, I can understand why why people are uh, you know sort of staying under the radar if, if you like. So. It's going to uh, take time. I think it's it's slowly changing. Um, you know, things are slowly moving, um, and uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll be too long before the dietitians and and, and some of the senior medical specialties uh, acknowledge at least that that low carb is an option. You know, even if it's not their preferred That's option, that it is a an option uh, for yeah. the management of uh, of chronic disease like type two diabetes and so on. But um, yeah, we can only hope. Yeah, sure thing. And I found it really interesting how you mentioned that you knew that you were generally healthy, but then you started to relay to me all of the metabolic issues that were underlying your general health at sort of age 60, fatty liver being one of them. Like how much do you think that actually occurs, that people sort of say to themselves they're generally healthy, but actually underlying it, they know they've got these issues that they're not really not really addressing? Yeah, well, they they may know or, or they may not know, but I mean, certainly, you know, if we th if we think about type two diabetes, you know, I mean, it's probably the most common, you know, chronic disease that that we have. I mean, there's, it looks like in Australia anyway, uh, there's two million, about two million people with type two diabetes. Um, not sure of the figures, uh, but I'm sure that it's proportionally the same in, in New Zealand. Um, now that's a that's a hell of a lot of uh, people, you know. And if you look at the people over fifty, you know, there's a very significant proportion of them with type two diabetes. Now they don't develop type two diabetes overnight. You know, you don't become type two diabetic. Uh, you know, you're normal one day and you're type two diabetic the next. That's a long process of of, of insulin resistance and uh, and so on. That's probably ten, twenty years. You know, uh, but often you know during that that process, you you don't really have any any hints, you know, you, you might be getting a little bit uh, thick around the waist and, and so on, but, uh, you know, generally you're, you're okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a blood test and, and you're type 2 diabetic because you're, you know, your your pancreas sort of uh, can't cope, uh, you know, with the with the uh, the demands and, um, uh, and, and you know, the insulin sort of uh, starts to, uh, to, uh, to fail. Um, so it's... Um, yeah, it's a gradual process, but unfortunately, you know, I mean, if you act early, you know, I mean, as I said, I'm I'm quite sure I'd I'd be well and truly type two diabetic by now if I hadn't made these changes, and uh, and yet, you know, I mean, the changes were not that 
difficult. They've not been that hard to, to maintain. Um, that's the other thing that uh, that people uh, people think. You know, people are very wary about, and you would know this better than any as a dietitian, you know, as a nutritionist. I mean, diet is a sort of a, a four-letter word. It's a dirty word, isn't it? And um, and most people have tried. You know, most people have tried different uh, different diets, and uh, and they failed. Um, because uh, the general diet that people uh, try involves some sort of reduction in, in calories, and uh, those diets are just not sustainable because um, because you're hungry. You know, I mean, if you're on a, you know, I defy anyone to go on an 800 calorie a day diet and, and, and stay on it for long because you're 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 hungry. You know, you're hungry and angry, and uh, and it just makes it so so difficult. So invariably. People after you know a day, a week, a month, you know, six months, give up on that that diet because it's not sustainable, and so they sort of say, "Oh no, diet doesn't work." Uh, whereas you know what what they really need to do is get on the right uh, diet. And I don't even like calling it a diet because diet to me is something temporary. Whereas uh, you know this is more just a you know a way of of living, a lifestyle, a way of eating, um, the low carb approach, and. Um, and the the great thing about about the low carb approach is that you're not hungry, and that's why it's that's why it's different from all the other diets. It's, it's sustainable because you know carbs are the things that make you hungry. You know fats and proteins fill you up. So if you're eating primarily fats and proteins, um, you're not going to be hungry. So it's sustainable. So um, yeah, that was you know look, I can understand why you know why. Uh, why it's been difficult, but um, we just need to educate people. And, and the trouble is, you know, people have, are not being educated. They've been told the wrong things. They've been told the wrong things to eat. They've been told the wrong reasons why they're uh, why they're obese, and they've been told the uh, the wrong solutions. You know, so um, until we change that, you know, we're not going to solve the solve the problem. I mean, uh, and and this whole you know sort of. It's not just type two diabetes. It's all, you know lots of other chronic diseases that are uh, related to to insulin resistance and uh, and, and poor diet. And uh, you know, it's the only it's the only solution to our, our health issues. You know, otherwise we're just getting fatter and sicker, and uh, the health bill's going up. But it's not uh, it's not affordable and it's not sustainable. You have got to act. You know, at the source, and and the source of uh, of a lot of ill health is is poor nutrition. And uh, the sooner we uh, we realise that, the better. Totally, Peter. And I, you know, I look at the. Um, so I think about this from a public health perspective, right? In Australia and New Zealand are no different. You know, we've got the same guidelines. They're actually set up by the same sort of groups with regards to the dietary guidelines, the RDIs. They're, you know, they're interconnected. And whilst the dietary guidelines, and I know I've said this before on um, uh, listeners will hear me say this a bit on podcasts, is that those dietary guidelines might be sufficient for a healthy population, yet we've got a majority of our population that are unhealthy. So to continue to recommend that people um, base their diet around whole grains and, and foods like that is just sort of setting people up to fail. Because as you say, then people get that idea that this is what they need in order to be healthy. Whilst actually to correct, to course correct, we need a different approach. Yeah, no, look, it's it's absolutely right. I mean, uh, <clears throat> the dietary guidelines... You know, the dietary guidelines are a huge issue, um, and as you say, you know there, there's a couple of issues with them. One is, as you say, they're uh, they're set up for healthy people, and uh, very few people are healthy. Um, you know, there was this uh, these surveys in the US, which uh, a couple of years ago came out and said that only 12% of the population were metabolically healthy, and this year it got, came down to 7%. And I suspect Australia and New Zealand is not that different. Um, so you know they're, they're not appropriate for for most uh, people, and, and but they're not even right for for healthy people. You know, I mean they they're going to lead to uh, to, to chronic uh, chronic problems, and the problem is that um, there's a few problems with the dietary guidelines. Obviously, they're they're heavily uh, industry. Uh, um, Affected, you know, industry has a huge influence on uh, on these uh, these issues. Similarly, with health star ratings and all this sort of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, the, the food industry doesn't want things to change because they're doing very well out of the, the current situation. Thank you very much. And uh, you know, we, they don't want things to change. Um, and also, as we mentioned, you know, some of the sort of the more senior members of the uh, of the dietitians and, and and medical fraternity who are involved in these guidelines, you know, don't uh, also don't want things to change. And, and in fact, in the last uh, Australian uh, guidelines, they didn't even examine 
the issue of low carb uh, diets. You know, they they said, oh, there was nothing new, or some some pathetic excuse like that. I mean, you know, it, it's just it's just scandalous, really, that uh, that they ignore all the evidence that's out there now. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're we're revising our guidelines uh, again. I'm not that optimistic things are going to change because of the, the makeup of the committee. Uh, you look at it, and it's the same same old uh, same old people. And and I know some of the uh, say J- J- Dr. James Mukey, for instance, who was the Australian of the Year in 2020, who's a, uh, a low sugar advocate and so on, um, was promised a position on the committee by the health minister. And uh, sure enough, in the end, it didn't it didn't happen because uh, he would have stirred the pot too much. But, um, you know, it's quite scandalous, really, uh, you know, that that, uh, that these people are ignoring, um, you know, the evidence that's out there to support uh, to low carb. But, you know, eventually people power will uh, will win out and there are that many people who are benefiting from uh, from this, you know, nutritional approach that uh, they're teaching the doctors. You know, they're going to their GPs and, and, and telling the doctors why they've uh, they've lost weight and, uh, and improved their metabolic health. And, uh, you know, eventually it's going to, uh, you know, the doctors will, will get it. So um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I spoke to Eric Westman and that was how he sort of – his introduction into um, – Dr. Atkins' approach was it exactly that. Um, of course, that was like mm. 20 years ago. And Peter, I think even though this is stuff that you uh, you were very familiar with and it's your sort of um, sort of stomping ground, I think people aren't aware that that's what happens up at that sort of public health policy space of how industry-focused it is. So I think it's really good to talk to the likes of people like you who are very sort of um, knowledgeable as to what goes on because it just at least highlights why there are these this disconnect between the things that I might say versus – and you might say versus what you actually hear in that public health space. Yeah, look, I think a classic example is is the sugar tax. You know, and the sugar tax is not the be all and end all, but it's you know it, it would be a, a very valuable weapon in our in our battle to uh, to improve uh, improve metabolic health. And uh, <clears throat> that was suggested in in Australia, and and industry uh, mobilised their uh, their troops and uh, shut it down within about forty eight hours. The politicians were coming out and saying, "Oh no, no, we can't, uh, we can't do that." You know, so there was just a classic example of of the power of of, of industry, and um, you know, they the politicians won't admit it, but uh, you know, they're not going to go against their, uh, you know, the, the people that uh, that fund them, and uh, and that you know, they have huge uh, influence in uh, in political circles. You know, they have lots of lobbyists around Parliament and uh, and so on, and we can't compete with that. With that, you know, uh, it's, it's very difficult, and uh, so we just have to rely on grassroots. So it's it's going to be basically a, a bottoms up movement. You know, uh, it's really just the, the the people out there who are you know. Um, Experiencing the the benefits themselves uh, and spreading the word, and eventually, you know, there'll be enough people spreading the word that uh, that even the, you know, the politicians will realise there might actually be some votes in it, and that's when they might do something. But not until then, unfortunately. So uh, they're not really worried about people's health. They're uh, they're more worried about uh, you know their their uh, you know party funds. Totally. And um, Peter, when you sort of embarked on this approach, I can imagine you might have been quite delighted with the types of foods that you were able to eat. Um, did people sort of raise an eyebrow as to the, your meal choices at the time? And like, how did your colleagues respond when the, as you were sort of undergoing your, I suppose, your um, transformation? Yeah. <laughs> well, people thought I was crazy, of course, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a lot of my medical colleagues who are pretty conservative, you know, thought, uh, you know, because they, they sort of think, oh, you know, it's a fad diet, you know, or, you know, just everything in moderation, everything in balance, you know, well, why would you have things that are bad for you in moderation is what I say. But, um, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, when, 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 you know, it was okay to, to remove fat, but it's not okay to remove carbohydrate. Oh, you can't you know, take out a food group. Well, hang on a minute. You know, you've been telling us for 40 years to take out one particular food group. We're just uh, changing the food group you've got to take out. But they don't seem to see that. To see that. So, yeah, look, um, I, you know, people uh, – but, but the interesting thing, Mickey, I thought people are really interested. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, when I've um, – you know, when I lost all my weight, you know, people who hadn't seen me for a while, you know, would always, you know, always want to know and come up and, and you know, when I give talks, there's a huge amount of interest in uh, in this because people get it. You know, it's sort of logical and it makes sense. And uh, um, so there's a lot, you know, I think there's a lot of interest out there in the, 
in the public. I mean, uh, I read uh, that that you know keto is the uh, the most searched word on uh, on you know Google as far as uh, you know food and diet goes. You know, so there's a there's a lot of people out there uh, interested in, in this sort of a whole. Uh, Area and it's just a pity that uh, you know it's the people having having to lead it rather than our professions, which uh, should be the ones uh, leading the way. But uh, you know the patients are, are leading the doctors uh, in this uh, in this situation. But um, now look, you know I I don't find the diet that difficult to be honest. Um, people sort of say to me, uh, oh you know I I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't give up rice. You know well I say well you know I have cauliflower rice. You know it's it's probably tastier than the normal rice. You know people say oh but what about pasta? Well. Well, I have, you know, zucchini, you know, noodle pasta, you know, I mean, which is just as tasty and uh, you can have all the nice sort of – the funny thing is, you know, I remember you know, years ago, you know, I used to love spaghetti carbonara and I used to feel guilty about the uh, the carbonara part of it, you know, and now <laughs> I feel guilty about the spaghetti part of it. <laughs> you know, it's um, – yeah, so, you know, there, there's alternatives. You know, people say, oh, I couldn't do it without bread. You know, well, you know, I have the odd piece of, uh, of sourdough bread, you know, and, and in my smashed avocado or, or, you know, I make I bake my own bread or there are some low-carb breads around that are, that are tasty, you know, they're – you know, and there's even uh, there's even low carb and no carb beers these days. Yes. You know, um, we have two beers in Australia that are zero carbs. You know, yes. which are very tasty. You know, yes, um, I've heard. I'm not a big beer drinker, but I mean, if I do, I'll have one of those. So, you know, there's there the really is. Uh, I eat really well. I mean, I enjoy every meal I have. You know, I if my my first meal of the day, I'll have. Um, you know, an egg-based meal usually if I'm sort of at home and I've got time. So I might have eggs and bacon and avocado and uh, or mushrooms or, you know, something like that. Or if I'm uh, if I'm in a hurry, I'll have some, you know, Greek yogurt and uh, full-fat Greek yogurt with some uh, nuts and seeds and some berries, you know. So, you know, that's – they're both, you know, pretty good starts to the day. And um, and then, you know, in the evening meal, I'll just have, you know, meat, and fi- meat or fish and uh, – um, you know, veg and just avoid the, the starchy veg, you know. So, uh, and, and you know, people always say, oh, but what about when you go out? You know, you can't, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy. You can always find something on the menu when you go out. I mean, even people say, oh, what about Italian restaurants? You know, you can't have pasta or pizza. Well, there's always a, a veal dish or, you know, uh, you know, a meat dish on, uh, yeah. on an Italian restaurant. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't think I've been to a single restaurant or, or a hotel or, you know, and I've, I've spent, you know, the last, you know, most part of the last 10 years on the road with the cricket team and I've eaten in hundreds of hotels and hundreds of, you know, places and so on. And, and um, you know, I've, I've never had a problem finding something to uh, something nice to eat. So it's a bit of a myth that it, that's really difficult. Um, and, um, you know, particularly as you're not that, you, you know, you don't have that hunger, so that makes it a lot easier. And the other thing is that, you know, you feel so good on it. I mean, that's why it's so sustainable because people say to me, oh, how do you keep on it? I said, well, I just feel good, you know, and my weight's good and, and uh, you know, I've got a lot of energy and, and people say, you know, how well you look and, uh, you know, I, I feel, you know, I feel significantly better at 70 than I did at 60 or even 50, I would think. So, um, you know, it's just a no-brainer for me and, um a lot of you know, a lot of uh, my colleagues are the same. You know, I, I gave a talk. Uh, I gave a talk two months ago, and uh, and bumped into a guy the other night who was at that talk. He proudly came up to me and said, "Look at me! You know, I've lost nine kilograms in two oh, months. Amazing, amazing! You know, and felt fantastic. You know, and uh, just from going to just going to go to a talk. You know, so um, I mean, there's so. Every time I get despondent, which you do occasionally because you feel as though you're bashing your head against a brick wall and, uh, you know, the, the, the powers that be don't, don't want to listen, you know, then you get a, an email or a text saying, you know, oh, I've, you know, I've reversed my, my type 2 diabetes or I've lost, you know, nine kilograms and, you know, thank you for changing my life. And you think, oh, okay, well, maybe I will keep going after all, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster, but yeah, anyway. And uh, it just the other interesting thing um, – is that you know initially I thought it was all just about weight loss and, and and maybe diabetes and so on, but as I've sort of explored more and more over this last decade, I've, I've come to appreciate that most chronic diseases um, can be significantly improved by changing your your diet. It, it seems that you know the causes of chronic disease are chronic inflammation, again affected by diet. Insulin resistance affected by diet and your gut microbiome. Those seem to be the three major issues that cause that that you know the factors in chronic disease, and they're all significantly improved by 
reducing uh, your the carbohydrate intake in your diet. And so, you know, from diseases as varied as, as um, you know, obviously gut diseases, uh, um, cardiac issues, hypertension, uh, epilepsy, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, even now down to uh, to mental health, you know. To, I mean, I, I was in the, uh, in the coffee queue at university the other day and a lady came up to me and said, uh, oh, Dr. Brogan, I said, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, you know, I enjoyed your lecture the other day. I said, oh, that's good. And uh, and she said, oh, you know, but that's not, not what I want to talk to you about. And I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done here? <laughs> and, uh, and she said, um, my husband and I are massive cricket fans and because of you we, uh, we changed our diet. And... Uh, I just wanted to say my husband's been bipolar all his life and he's now off all his medication and you've changed our lives. Amazing. And I thought, wow, you know, yeah. Yeah. no one ever came up to me when I fixed their ankle and said, oh, you've changed my life because <laughs> you fixed my ankle. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's you know, that, that sort of thing is the thing that keeps you going, you know, and, and keeps me keeps me motivated and, and wanting to uh, to keep working towards uh, educating people and, and, and changing the way they, they eat. So, uh, you know, there's a wide variety of different diseases that, that are significantly improved by uh, by diet. You know, one of my best mates was sort of crippled by uh, an inflammatory arthritis, you know, and I've got him on uh, on a you know, zero, virtually a zero-carb diet and he's halved his medication and he's, you know, he's moving around again and uh, he's a different person, you know. And interestingly, his wife went on the same uh, the same diet, and she said, uh, "Well, I've never really complained about it, but I've had uh, you know sore joints all my life, and it's the first time in my life I've not had a uh, had sore joints." You know, so you know all these different uh, different things you hear about, you know, that almost by accident that people uh, people fix these chronic uh, chronic issues. It's uh, it's quite incredible, really. I can't think of you know, there's no medication or no, uh, no nothing else in in life that, that has a dramatic effect on chronic disease. As getting your diet right. Yeah, no, I appreciate, and I, I think that the, the you often hear the narrative, oh, it's just too hard, and it's almost like it's doing mm. such a disservice yeah. to so many people who would really benefit because a lot of that pain that that is reported is is exactly what you were describing with people being worried about being hungry. It's not an issue. Being mm. worried about having to yeah. give up bread. Actually, you probably don't think about it when you're when you are experiencing a lot of the appetite regulation effects, and you know, like those cravings just are not. The same. It's not that you would never have cravings, but it's just so different when you are able to control your blood sugar with your diet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bruckner, as well, you you actually just mentioned that one of your friends had benefited greatly from, you know, going on a very low carbohydrate diet. And I did actually want to ask your opinion on the emergence of, you know, much more of an elimination type approach like a, a carnivore approach for chronic disease. Like how much of that are you aware of in the space that you're in? And, and any thoughts on it? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of interest in in that carnivore type uh, type diet. It, it, uh, um, and, and it's really, a, as you said, it's really an elimination diet, isn't it? I mean, it's just basically uh, removing all the potential causes of uh, of inflammation, in particular. I mean, I'm very interested in in inflammation, in chronic low grade inflammation as a, as a cause of, of disease. And um, yeah, in fact, the, the 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 guy I was telling you about, I actually put him on a carnivore diet, um, and uh, and and he's done really well. Um, uh, I don't, you know, uh, I don't necessarily advocate that everyone should be on a carnivore diet, but I think it's certainly an option, um, <clears throat> and and a very good option, particularly for people with chronic disease, with autoimmune disease, for instance, and uh, and different uh, diseases. It seems to uh, to work, you know, very very well, um, and um, it, it's. You know, whether you call it an elimination diet or a carnivore diet, it's it's basically you know just eating meat and and, and fish and uh, um, and some you know very mild sort of a, you know maybe some vegetables and uh, and fruit, but you know it's primarily just eating very plain uh, plain food. And then you know then I'm inclined to once you know th- then you can have a dramatic effect on their on their health. There's no doubt about that. Um, what I tend to do then is, is sort of ease people back into you know challenge them with uh, particular foods and uh, you know if they have particular favourite foods they would like you know oh, look I'd love to have avocado. I say okay well try uh, try some avocado and see how you go and uh, and so on because. We all seem to have different things that trigger off our, our inflammation. You know, some people find dairy inflammatory. Some people find eggs inflammatory. Some people find uh, nightshade vegetables inflammatory and so on. There's no, there's no one sort of diet for everyone. The best way of, of getting rid of the inflammation is to eliminate them all uh, and just get back to very basic sort of uh, you know, animal foods and then slowly uh, 
reintroduce them and find out what are the particular triggers that uh, that you have that uh, that cause that that inflammation and so on. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm fascinated by the by the carnivore diet because it's really against all the principles that you know yeah. <laughs> that we've been taught in uh, in nutrition. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't just focus on one uh, one thing. I mean, I, I'm you know. But I, I do think the carnivore diet is probably healthier than the vegan diet if you're talking about extremes yeah. of, uh, of uh, um, because uh, in fact uh, you know meat is, is I think probably the the most nutritious uh, you know the nutrient dense food that uh, that you can have um, and certainly from a health point of view leaving aside uh, you know any uh, any sort of ethical issues you might have with uh, with, with with meat and so on. Um, I think the environmental issues are grossly exaggerated uh, in uh, in meat, and and I think what was proposed in New Zealand is scandalous that uh, that they're going to restrict uh, farmers uh, from producing uh, producing meat. It's the healthiest food we have, and, it, and it's probably better for the environment than uh, than growing crops. And uh, you know, you've got to remember when you plow a field, you kill thousands of, uh, of small animals. Uh, but that seems to be okay. But you're not allowed to kill big animals. You know, it's it's a very bizarre uh, way of thinking. But um, so, from a health point of view, you know, I, I I'm a big advocate of uh, of animal foods. You know, uh, uh, meat and and fish and dairy are, are the and, and eggs are uh, I think you know incredibly nutritious. Yeah. Um, they give you great uh, bright protein, healthy fats with the with no uh, you know no crappy carbohydrates uh, in there. So. Uh, I think it's a very healthy way of, of eating. Um, it's not right for everyone. It, it's it's pretty extreme, um, and and some people, uh, you know, are prepared to to do that because they feel so much better. And I, I get that. You know, when you when you when you do something that that you know makes you feel a whole heap better, then you know it's very motivating. You know, it might be difficult, but it's very motivating to uh, to continue on. And that's what I've I've found from from people. And and sometimes they'll you know they'll they'll go. Uh, off track for a little while, and 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 then and then suffer the consequences, and then yeah. you know, after a week or so, they say, "Oh no, well that didn't work. I'll, I'll get back on the on the on the carnivore or the or the whatever you know, the keto or whatever the diet is." But yeah, there, there isn't one diet for everyone. I don't advocate you know a ketogenic diet for everyone. I don't advocate uh, you know carnivore for everyone. I mean, there's a right amount of carbs for everyone. Um, now, if you're, you know, type two diabetic, morbidly obese, got one of those chronic diseases we've been talking about, that's probably pretty small. You yeah. know, they're pretty minimal. It might be thirty grams, fifty grams. You might be at the ketogenic end of the of the low carb diet, if you like. But on the other hand, if you're young, healthy, insulin sensitive, you know, don't have any issues, I mean, you can, you know, you can have, you know, 100, 120 grams of carbs a day. You know, no one should be having the two to three hundred that you know most people have. <laughs> that's that's crazy. But uh, you know, so there's no one amount of, of carbs. It's a matter of finding out what what's right for you. Now, when I went on my sort of three month, you know, experiment, I was probably you know 30, 40 grams of carbs a day, virtually no carbs. And then since then, I've just backed off a little bit. I probably, I don't know, probably have 60 or 80 grams. Of, I've never really measured the amount, but uh, my guess would be 60 or 80 grams of carbs a day, and that's right for me. It keeps my weight steady, keeps my health, uh, um, you know, keeps me feeling good, and, and that's right for me. That doesn't mean it's right for you or for, or for you know, your patient or anything like that. You've got to find the right, uh, the right diet, but the principles are the same, you know, real food. I mean that's that's what it boils down to. If we can avoid processed and ultra processed food, and uh, just that wonderful saying, "Jerf," you know, just eat real food. J E R F. I like uh, like that. If you if you're only taking one message away, then that's probably the good one to take. No, that's a that's a great one. Um, and now, I, as I understand it, you you know, obviously you've spent a lot of time with the the elite sports people, particularly the cricket team. I used to love the Australian yep. cricket team; they're amazing. Um, and I think it was actually in that you Australians don't seem to love them much, but anyway, yeah. No, yeah, this was some time ago. You know, I'm thinking back in the heyday of you know New Zealand and Australian cricket. But um, I understand that your diet principles. You know, you were able to help a few of the players, or at least one player in particular. I'm maybe hearing a case study, just really help control his inflammatory sort of response. And I think it really sort of highlights that to be a good athlete, you actually need to think of health as well as just as performance. And that's an important piece. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, you know, I was, uh, I looked after the cricket team for, for five years and, and, uh, and look, they had a dietitian, So I was, you know, I, I 
kept pretty much in the background. I didn't sort of uh, push my, my dietary ideas. But the players would come to me. I mean, particularly, you know, when I, when I lost all my weight, you know, they all sort of came and said, oh, you know, what have you done, Doc? And so one player in particular came up to me. We were on a tour of, uh, of India. And um, uh, he was a player who um, he initially came to me and said, look, you know, I'd like to lose some weight. He was, you know, he was probably two or three kilograms over. It's amazing how how many elite athletes, despite training all day, you know, twenty four seven virtually, are uh, are a little bit overweight, and it's probably because they eat, all eat so much carbs. But uh, he came to me and said, "Look, I want to lose a bit of weight," and so on. And he's, he had an interesting history. He'd had uh, pain in one of his knees for the last the previous two or three years, to the point where at one stage he had to stop playing. And uh, he'd been to see every specialist around. He'd had MRI. He'd had arthroscopies and so on. No one could work out what on earth was going on with this uh, with this knee of his. And he was really looking at the end of his career. Anyway, he eventually finished up with a rheumatologist who who said he who diagnosed a seronegative arthritis, which is a similar to a rheumatoid type arthritis. Um, and um, put him on some pretty heavy duty medication, and uh, that sort of helped him about fifty percent. Um, and then uh, put him on some uh, some fairly new uh, injectable medication um, that made a big difference. So it got him to about 90% right. And uh, when I met him uh, on this tour, he was injecting himself every fortnight with this drug. And uh, he'd said to me that, you know, about day 10 of the fortnight, his knee would start to ache and he knew it was time for another injection, and then he'd have his injection and feel good for another couple of weeks. So um, anyway, so he came to me and said, uh, you know, could he like to try the, the, the diet that I'd, I'd been on and uh, to, to lose some weight? And I said, sure. And uh, so he did, um, and he was very good. I mean, India is not the easiest place to, uh, to go on a low-carb diet, but uh, he managed that pretty well. And um, um, yeah, he was very, you know, he was very conscientious. The good thing about, you know, elite sports people is they can, they're pretty disciplined, which is, which is good. Anyway, um, three weeks later, he came up to me and said, Doc, uh, I forgot to have my injection last week. You know, should I, should I have it now? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I didn't get any knee pain. So, um, I, uh, you know, I didn't get that reminder. And now I've just realized it's three weeks, you know, and I said, well, have you got any knee pain? He said, no. I said, well, why don't you wait and see? You know, I pretended that, you know, of course, that's exactly what I expected, which I had, uh, <laughs> was a, a bit of a fib. But um, I, he, um, anyway, to cut a long story short, no further knee pain, no further Amazing. drugs. This drug costs $15,000 a year, by the way, these injections. And, uh, and basically, and, and that hadn't controlled him completely. So he, he's now off all his drugs. He's still low-carb. This was uh, nine years ago now. Uh, he's still on a low-carb diet, and uh, his wife is and family is. He's a big advocate of it. And um, at the time, at that time, he actually wasn't even in the Australian team. He was in the sort of touring party, but he couldn't couldn't crack the team. And 12 months later, he was in the top 10 batsmen of the world. And uh, so, you know, that – and I, you know, I came across that totally by accident. I, you know, I'm the first to admit that uh, I had no idea that would happen. But when it did, that really opened my mind. And I guess that was probably the single thing that really showed me the the importance of inflammation and the effect of diet on inflammation. And um, yeah, so that uh, that that blew me away. And so, it's, you know, consequently, I've, I've had you know lots of people with arthritis. Um, and change their diet and significantly reduce their pain. In fact, we've got a, a study going at the uh, university at the moment with a PhD student looking at the effect of what we're calling an anti-inflammatory diet on those with uh, knee osteoarthritis, and uh, the re- initial results have been very, very encouraging. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. And, um, you know, a couple of the other cricketers, one of the other cricketers uh, had always battled with his weight, had huge weight issues all through his career. And, uh he had the, the biggest appetite of anyone I've ever met in my life. He could eat a horse, literally. And um, he would uh, you'd go out to dinner with him and he'd have, you know, two entrees and two main courses. <laughs> it was incredible. But anyway, I always made sure he was paying, not me. But um, <laughs> he was uh, – he always battled. And, and as he said, you know, the only way he could lose weight was to starve himself and he would be miserable. You know, he'd be really – he'd get depressed and uh, and so on. Uh, until he uh, until he discovered low carb and it just changed his life and uh, you know he was able to eat uh, enough to keep himself 
full and uh, but not put on weight. In fact, lose weight. And uh, it prolonged. He was, you know, when he started, he was probably most people would have considered him to be at the end of his career. And he then prolonged his career by by half a dozen years and, and had the best years of his, his career because uh, he wasn't constantly battling this uh, this weight. And uh, so, yeah, there was a number of, 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 of the cricketers uh, got into uh, got into the healthy diet and, and similarly with, uh, with uh, you know, with – AFL footballers and, uh, and a whole range of different uh, athletes have, uh, are discovering that, uh, that you know, reducing it. Because athletes have been so carb-focused, you know. I mean, we, we come from the carb generation. I mean, it's all been, you know, pasta parties the night before the marathon and, you know, Gatorade and Powerade and gels and, you know, oh, you know past, carbs, 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 you know. And uh, it really worries me that, you know, we've had this whole generation of, of, of you know, elite athletes who've had massive amounts of carbs, you know, a lot, a lot of it's simple carbs, you know. And uh, what the long-term effect of that is, it, it worries me, you know, that uh, what's going to happen to them in the long term. But fortunately now people are realising that uh, they're, they're tending to be very sort of carb-specific, so they might just have carbs on their really heavy training day and the rest yeah. of the time they'll uh, they'll go on a uh, on a more of a fat and protein-based uh, diet. So uh, the, the, the world of sports nutrition is also slowly uh, changing, um, somewhat reluctantly in some cases, but... Uh, you know, and particularly the ultra endurance athletes are, yes. are now, you know, primarily uh, all gone uh, gone uh, ketogenic because uh, you know you don't have to keep refueling. You can just keep, uh, you know, as long as you you don't have to do really high intensity exercise, you can keep going for a long time without having to uh, to constantly be eating and drinking and uh, refueling during. Uh, you know, Ironmans and, you know, 100-kilometre races and things like that. Uh, so, Absolutely. yeah, things are changing. Um, yeah. it's, it's a fascinating uh, time in, in nutrition and in sport, you know, both in, in metabolic nutrition and, and in, uh, in sports nutrition. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, my um, friend Dan um, Plews, he has a right fuel, right time approach to nutrition, which is exactly what you were talking about with that carb specific. And it's interesting, Peter, I feel like, um, you know, there's that group in Australia that seem to do their best to try and dispel the idea that anything other than the sports nutrition guidelines are warranted. And, and even if you look at, you know, the actual guidelines of, say, eight to 10 grams per kilogram body weight per day. And then you look at the habitual diet of athletes where historically they can they get to about five or six grams and that's like the elite to suggest that that they could then even eat to the recommendations is seems a bit, little bit ludicrous to me that their performance would massively increase by just having more of the carbohydrates. So I, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, look, I mean, certainly, you know, carbohydrate, you know, is a good fuel, you know, uh, for athletes, you know, but it, 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 but there is an alternative, you know, and and that is much healthier, and and there are other advantages of 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 uh, being fueled by by mainly fats uh, and so on is that you know you recover better, you you don't have as much inflammation. Um, and as I mentioned before, you don't have to constantly keep refueling, you know, because we can uh, we can use our own uh, our own body fat to, to fuel ourselves. So there's there's a lot of advantages. Certainly, the uh, the really elite athletes, some of you know, certainly need some carbs, uh, and that's uh, you know, there's no doubt about uh, about that. A very high intensity most most athletes, you know, I certainly have athletes who are very high level that. that that are ketogenic, but uh, a lot find that uh, for that really high intensity sort of training session or, or competition, that they uh, that they do need some carbs. But again, nowhere near the sort of levels that uh, that you know we used to be advocating ten years ago. That's for sure. Yeah, um, and finally, your defeat diabetes program. So I'm super interested in this, and obviously yeah. I'm aware of Verta Health and you know some of the um, the information sort of coming out of that. Is it yep. akin to something like the Verta Health program, but a more of a self directed approach? Yeah. Look, I mean, as, as I said at the start, you know, I mean, you know, I kept waiting for someone to do something about you know diabetes, and <laughs> nothing was happening. And uh, and yet there are yeah there are very good, very good examples uh, overseas. Uh, I mentioned the diabetes.co.uk program, which is like a rebel diabetes site in, in the UK. They've had over four hundred thousand people do their program, you know, and uh, with with great success. And they've written up their uh, their results, and they, and they've been very impressive. Similarly, the Verta Health program in in the US. Different medical system uh, and much more expensive, but uh, you know, still very good results. You know, both of these groups seem to be able to. 
to put, you know, more than 50% of people with type 2 diabetes into, into remission, you know, which is not supposed to be able to happen. You know, we, we're told as medical students, you know, that di- type 2 diabetes is a chronic progressive disease. You know, there's no cure. You'll be on medication the rest of your life. You know, we'll just try and, uh, you know, avoid some of those complications. And, uh, uh, and yet, you know, quite clearly these programs have shown that you can put type 2 diabetes into, into remission. And, and even if you don't get into remission, you certainly reduced your, uh, you know, your HbA1c and your blood glucose and, and, and so on with, uh, with improved uh, uh, effects. So, um, yeah, so we decided we would uh, we would have a crack at uh, developing our own program, which was sort of you know a Australian or Australasian, if you like, you know, rather than uh, so you know we talk about Vegemite, not Marmite, and you know important things like that to Australians. <laughs> but um, it um, yeah, it, it's um, it's a subscription model, um, yeah. so it costs a hundred dollars or ninety nine dollars Australian for a year. Um, we would love to make it free, but uh, it's cost quite a lot to develop, and uh, we're all, you know, myself included, significantly out of pocket as a result. So, I'd like to eventually get my money back, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but uh, you know, I think a hundred dollars a week, a hundred dollars a year, you know, so two dollars a week is probably not uh, not too much to uh, to put your diabetes into into remission. And um, and we've had uh, we've actually got a, a formal study going on uh, at the moment with a PhD student looking at the uh, the effect of uh, twelve months uh, on our program. But um, in the meantime, we've surveyed our initial sort of cohort of uh, of customers uh, of subscribers. And uh, very similar results to the Verta and, and the UK results. You know, fifty to sixty percent uh, into remission, uh, weight loss of you know six uh, six you know, to eight uh, kilograms in three months, and uh, and so on. So, you know, there's no doubt that it's a very effective and, uh, and works. Um, um, but uh, and you know, we think it's a, it's a pretty good program. You know, we get pretty good feedback. Um, we run a whole bunch of, uh, of webinars as well, and uh, we have a Facebook group, and we put out uh, put out a weekly newsletter with uh, with new recipes and new articles on it, and so on. So, you know, it's it's a pretty comprehensive uh, program. It's part education, part. Uh, um, food advice, you know, meal advice, uh, uh, a lot of you know background information because we think it's pretty important to understand why you're doing these things. It makes it, uh, it makes you more motivated if you understand why you've gone low carb and so on. So, Paul Mason is a great, a uh, great lecturer and a great speaker, and uh, he's been a fantastic uh, asset. And uh, and Nicole is terrific from a food point of view and and so on. So um, I think it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good program. Um, and it's available both uh, on the App Store or, or on, the, on a web-based uh, version uh, just through uh, defeatdiabetes.com.au. And if you jump on that, and uh, you can uh, you can have a look, and it's a free trial, uh, free 14-day trial, uh, so you don't uh, don't commit. Um, and you know the, the the feedback's been been terrific. So uh, yeah. as I said, we've uh, we've had eight thousand people uh, do it so far. We're we're aiming for a hundred thousand. Uh, you know by uh, by two thousand twenty five. So uh, yeah, we're we're on the way. But uh, yeah, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. And Dr. Bruckner, you're not only are you generous with your time with me today, I just like to say that you're tireless in this space. You talk so much. You're on in a great way. You know, I see that you're you're almost everywhere. Plus your book, A Fat Lot of Good, the Defeat Diabetes Program, you're not for profit. Um, it is amazing to have a voice like you in a space like this because you're the you and your colleagues are the reason why there is a groundswell happening because there wouldn't be one if it wasn't for the likes of you. So um, we really appreciate it and I appreciate you taking the time to chat to us today and I will put all of your links in the show notes because I think 100 bucks to reverse your diabetes, it's, it's just like a no-brainer basically. So um, <laughs> we'll put the link to it. That's and right. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Then we'll uh, get you to that um, closer to your 100,000 uh, people. So just before we um, just uh, t- on the uh, to end off, Dr. Bruckner, are you able just to tell people where they can find you and your information? Obviously in my show notes, but if they're just going to Google it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, uh, defeatdiabetes.com.au is certainly uh, uh, a wealth of information as far as uh, the diabetes goes and it's an entree into the uh, into the program um, and uh, otherwise um, yeah a fat lot of good is uh, 
is the book. Um, I said that's uh, that's got a lot of uh, really interesting information uh, in it, and um, yeah, so that's probably a good uh, start. I'm on Twitter. I'm not that active on Twitter, but I'm at doc- Dr. Peter Bruckner. But uh, I probably should do more. But I just seem to don't seem to get the time. But I don't know how some people find time to uh, spend their life on Twitter. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm uh, I am I am passionate about it. Uh, there's no doubt. And, uh, but you know, people like yourself, you know, play an enormous role as well. You know, so uh, we really appreciate uh, what you do in uh, in spreading the word, and uh, and I really appreciate the chance to come on your uh, on your podcast. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy your afternoon. Thanks. Bye. Alrighty, hopefully you really enjoyed listening to that. Such a wealth of information and what a professional career. And it's just so awesome now that he has the opportunity to use the success of his career to sort of pivot and uh, help people with improving and addressing their metabolic health. I just love it. Next week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Brendan Egan all about uh, ketones and also exercise and aging. Until then, though, you can find me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, book a consultation. Easy. All right, team, have a great week. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.